Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. Hello, Culture Factor family. Today, I have Daniel Botha uh, with me today. He is driving transformation and bridging gaps through accessibility, education, and empowerment. The name Hashlips is an alias for his YouTube channel, for his NFT art channel, I'm sorry, art engine, and his NFT collection. It is also an art movement. And if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll realize that Hashlips is an advocate for blockchain technology advancement and a community of like-minded adventurers. Hashlips was born on YouTube in 2021. The channel already has over 2 million views. And he would say it's not merely a library of how-to videos, that it's far more important than that. And that Hashlips is being spoken by people who have been enabled by the open source nature of what Daniel does and a community was formed. The art engine has now enabled the creation of more than 6,000 NFT collections to date, all from within the Hashlips community. Now, what I learned about Daniel that isn't in his bio is that he's been following his true north as an artist since childhood. And he took information, I'm sorry, inspiration from his father, who was a classically trained jewelry artist. Daniel was surrounded by materials that were transformed into beauty, and he witnessed the creative process as metal morphed into a ring. While looking for gallery representation, he received a mentor and an opportunity to travel to China. And as a rite of passage, he left home and found himself in a job where he was introduced to JavaScript. And he is a big believer in vision boards and the power of positive thinking. So with all that said, Welcome, Daniel, to Culture Factor. Thanks, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. It is so cool that you actually did that research. I wasn't expecting that. Um, Yeah, I'm very glad to be here on Culture Factor. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And I like to do the research because I, I want people to know the person behind everything you know we can talk endlessly now about hashlips and nfts and what you're doing and we will do that um but i think um i think it's important to understand the person right so um all said uh can you share your foray into crypto tokens and nfts at this point because i think now that we have a little background about you um maybe you can tell us how you sort of fell into that space yeah certainly um yeah firstly you know when you mentioned that i did uh, get inspiration from my dad um of course that was the the pinnacle you know for me to actually make a video about that because it, it means so much to me artworks in general and I've always searched for a way to to express myself and what better way to do it on the blockchain so I got into blockchain technologies purely for the fact obviously not for NFTs no one knew about NFTs back then um, but the first kind of glance that I got at the potential of NFTs was CryptoKitties I'm not sure if you know about the crypto kitties, the cute little cats that, you know, I was embarrassed to say I had one uh, because <laughs> back in the day, no one knew, <laughs> no one knew what it was. Um, but yet I have a few, I had four actually. Um, but immediately I regretted my decision back then because I bought these and then I realized I just bought a 
digital cat and it cost quite a lot back then as well so uh, you know i had mixed feelings back then about nfts and, and this realm but yet i was trading tokens like anyone else you know wanting to do good investments um, did very bad investments like everyone else didn't believe in bitcoin too early on um, but you know as time moved on i jumped in and out of crypto every now and then but i really started diving into it about a year and a half ago when I realized that NFTs could really be the start of my art career again. So, you know, at the time I was working full-time uh, up until recently only left my job. But back then I was like, hey, let's, let's do something. And I had this amazing idea. I said uh, to my girlfriend, I said to her, listen, baby, I'm going to put these lips on the blockchain and, we, and we're going to sell them, right? And people are going to believe in my artworks because I don't know. <laughs> it just it just came like this great. So I said to to her with this dream in mind, um, you know, of testing it out. I am a programmer, so I can write the software to generate these things that, that I've seen all over the place. Um, and that's really what got me into it, really, is is the fact that I also had this dream, like many others, you know, having a collection on the blockchain, being able to put my stamp on the, the virtual reality forever, really, right? And, and, and I guess that's what attracts most people, um, especially artists in the space, to know that when you put it on the blockchain, it's going to live there for a very long time. And we're so early. And that's, that's kind of how it happened, I guess, that's with the lips. That's really cool. But you know, when I look at the lips, like it has a lot of like pop art references to it. Like I feel um, it's really a departure from the classical work that you were doing. Um, well, obviously you enjoy doing both, but which which style resonates with you more? Yeah, well, I mean, the style at that point, you know, when I when I realized I'm going to do these lips, it was quite different than my usual art style because I had to find something that can uh, be generated and overlap each other. And honestly, I have to be honest with myself. I try to pick the easiest item that I could generate. <laughs> and it was, it was lips because lips you know come in various forms and colors and you can put the uh, glitter and everything on it to make it look uh, quite cool especially with the background now i did incorporate my previous artworks because i used them as the backgrounds in fact you know when i started off with this i wanted to do um, these figures the these uh, figures that i love drawing but i felt like people needed a profile picture because i was seeing these things all over the place and that's why you know, I didn't go for my usual style. I ended up just making these lips. And that's why I'm saying I have to be honest, because when I look back at them, I would really change them quite, quite a lot. But I went ahead. Um, it was my first NFT collection. And believe it or not, I didn't know how to create a collection, a contract. So I was ending up placing each one, one by one, all 10,000 on uh, OpenSea, opening it up, sitting in the morning, yeah, like having a spreadsheet next to me, my girlfriend on the other side of that spreadsheet asking her, okay, have I uploaded this one before? Baby check. Okay, cool, we have. Okay, next one, next one. I did that for about 400 of these artworks and I realized there's a better way of doing this. And that's when I really started doing research into Solidity, contract development. And when I found out that there's not so many people knowing this stuff, that's when I got into education because... I really believe that as an artist, you know, it's quite unfair when you have this beautiful platform, everyone gets to upload artworks, but only people who know uh, the tech around it. And I feel that that's unfair. And that's why, you know, that's why I started my journey, educating people on how to do it. So everyone has a fair chance of making it in the space. You know, I feel like it's manifested from when you had gone to a gallery I think in your community, right? And and the gallery owner came out and offered to mentor you so that you could move through the space of that world, that part of the art world, um, like getting representation and and how to present yourself and 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 how to be successful in that arena. So, like you were given that chance by somebody, and I feel like now you're paying it forward. Yeah, I mean. You know, um, back in the day, you know, for people who don't know the story, uh, the gallery artist who I actually approached 
he was the senior uh, president at the art association at the time and i you know got introduced to him taking an artwork because i thought i'm going to bribe him i thought i'm going <laughs> to take this artwork and say hey um this is my artwork let me give it to you and then you can organize some galleries for me please you know i had this mentality i was very young um but i got there and i got immediately told that this looks like gallery um cliche art uh, needless to say it was actually a man laying down um it was a weird image but the the individual um that was portrayed on the on the portrait you know i didn't see it as cliche art i thought it was beautiful man the miro and all these guys they're doing it why can't i just put a few shapes on a paper and, and get away with it uh, obviously not understanding at that point you know the culture the time the um the timing especially you know when these artworks were created really contributes to an artist's success um but yeah he took me in he said you know what you might make these artworks and i can show you a better way um of how to present yourself how to be more contemporary and he was my mentor um you know still to this day if i call him up now he would say hey how's it going how's it going with the artworks and um we have lost contact since um purely you know from our side and moving around um so that's unfortunate but uh, back then he played a really big role in my life especially in the art scene because he introduced me to the right people uh, the right situations and how to how to act in these situations as an artist mm. and, and i think like that must have been part of why your youtube channel is so so successful because you understand that there's a process for the person on the other side learning like the steps they need to take and um so i'm assuming that's part of the magic of your youtube channel and also you have um like an open source technology as well so you're making it accessible to not only teach but to uh put it into action like creating an nft am, am i right in my summation of that 100 holly <laughs> halfway there you can be creating collections soon um, i love that that's exactly you're gonna help <laughs> well, me maybe we Maybe we should, yeah. Um, that would be cool. Actually, yeah, you know. we should do it in real time on YouTube. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, like can. if you walked me through it and I was the person doing it because, okay, so we're going off on a tangent here, but sorry, I have to say this. So <laughs> one of the things that for me, I'm very visual. Actually, I was a jewelry designer too. So I'm oh, wow. extremely visual. And if I'm watching and doing I, I actually uh, learn better. It's just like my method. So when somebody sends me a link to something to follow, um, it, I almost never open it. Like I cannot, I'm not just going to sit there and like stare at a video. I need to actually be doing it. So maybe, maybe yeah. we're going to like break new ground there. Yeah, we can. I've never taught someone live on a channel before. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we should definitely try that out because, you know, visually showing people how to do stuff does add, you know, and it makes it so much easier. The reason why I think the YouTube videos are successful, uh, in my own opinion, is the way I just talk slow because most of these tutorials that you see, people show you up to a certain point of how to do something, but they skip over the most crucial individual parts that they don't realize that a novice, you know, might not know small things in the coding realm where people don't know what a terminal is. They don't know what a command a prompt is that you need to enter. And by explaining to people, holding their hand a little bit better and tighter and say, come, let's walk this road together. I think taking the time and putting the extra energy into explaining these things, that might be a reason that contributes to it doesn't always um, work for everyone because most people play my videos at 1.5 speed but uh, that being said at least you know the value is there and I hope um, you know that is the success maybe it's just being flamboyant on the videos too I have no idea but <laughs> as long as people are enjoying it <laughs> and they get to learn uh, I'm happy because it, it is quite fulfilling to know you know people are watching it because they're learning they're not just there to kind of watch a video that's not really contributing to anything. So, yeah. You know, interestingly, 
I, okay, so I have my book, Zero to Podcast, where I teach people how to do that. And I've always said that I think the magic behind it, and probably the same thing for you, is that if you can share, like if you can share the process from that novice standpoint that maybe people don't understand certain aspects, then um, it's easier for them to follow along. So like for me, like I didn't know anything about it, about launching a podcast till I did it and I just took really good notes on it. But so when I published that, it was with almost that novice standpoint. Like I didn't have a background in audio engineering. So like I gave three basic steps for editing because like that's what I was using. That's how I figured it yeah. out. Um, so I think like the fact that you can go back in time and still be that person, even though you have a background that's highly technical now, um, that that's like the coolest thing that you're able to like bring it down to the basics. Yeah, bring it down to where it started, I guess. Um, it didn't always, you know, start off like uh, that for me as well. You know, I was a novice once as well with these things and still are in some respects. I believe that you never stop learning. Um, the moment you stop learning and you think you know it all, uh, that's when you are mistaken and really don't know anything. Because I really believe that you know, when I was working in the corporate environment as well, that was my job. Um, I was a lead developer there. So I had to teach people from the start every single day. So when someone onboarded me, uh, you know, into a project, I had to uh, learn the project first of all. And then when the new people came along and they didn't know what was happening, I literally sat with each and every individual, taking them through each line of the code. It might sound redundant, but that's what I did to get people up to speed. And you won't believe the amount of value it brought to their lives because not only do you have a developer there that's supporting you, um, but they don't just say, hey, go, there's a swimming pool, go and swim. They actually put some little fins on your, on your hands and then they drop <laughs> you in the water. Uh, anyway, that's maybe not the best analogy. <laughs> but no, you know no, what I'm fine. saying? It, I do, it I helps. do. It helps, yeah. Yeah, I... Um... So is that why you came up with like, what was it like a, a no code kind of technology so that you can skip that part with people? Because maybe you found it was like a, a burden almost or like a barrier to entry that people didn't want to even have to learn that part. Well, that's, that's a good question. So the, the open source code that I've written, uh, especially for the art engine, and there's been many before that as well. Um, but for the art engine, that's really actually some technical stuff. So there's a lot of code involved, but in order to use it, uh, you don't need to know the code. But I do, however, explain each line of code. So for a developer coming along, they can code along and they know what I'm talking about. But for someone who's really not used to coding at all or doesn't even know uh, where to start, they can look at the video and say, okay, um, this developer at least shows me how to use it perfectly fine. Even though it seems technical, um, I've got, you know, the, the proudest moment for me was when I was on a space and uh, a lady of the age of 85, um, you know, as old as my grandma came on and uh, she said she managed to use the code base. So I was really surprised. I said, <laughs> that, well, that rocks. That is the first. Go granny. We yeah. like her. <laughs> yeah. So. I was like, wow, you know, that, that's crazy to find out. And you have, you know, young individuals coming up saying, I've used it. It's so amazing. And everyone has suggestions, which they say, you know, I've used it, but can we do this? And can we do that? And that's, that's really fun because then you get to, um, you know, fulfill their requests, you add some development and you get it done. But I believe it's like, you know, uh, they always say, like, you don't need to understand you know, electricity to use the light. And that's the exact same thing that I have. But my analogy is more to the point where I believe people shouldn't be crippled by the fact that they don't understand, you know, how the NFT space works. If someone wants to get into the NFT space and they really have a beautiful idea or they really want to assetize something, I want to give them at least the chance to do that. 
And whether it succeeds or not is up to them and their project, but at least they'll be able to get to the point where it's on the blockchain. So, yeah. That's incredible. Well, I'm I'm open to being the guinea pig. Um, if you if you want to play around with creating some videos that like walk through the process with somebody that's asking all of the the questions. Um, but aside from that, um, I'm curious for you because you're you are such a prolific artist. I saw you doing silk screening and charcoal and um, you know obviously NFTs and all these things. Is has math taken on an art form for you? Math, like uh, yeah, like all right? the code and everything. Like, does does it appear almost like art to you, or no? Is that just a random weird question to ask? That is a weird question, but I, I guess it's a valid question uh, because in art, you know, um, first of all, no, I believe there's no no weird questions. I I, I believe that you know art obviously being subjective and up to the artist to see things differently. I was never good at math, first of all, right? So I absolutely hated math um, and all these technical subjects uh, with all my heart because I felt like, you know, in no way or form am I going to use trigonometry to work out my daily lives, right? Until this day, I also think, you know, it's, it's quite uh, ridiculous that you have to learn these extensive mathematical things if your purpose in life isn't speaking towards becoming a doctor or something that you need to use these things in. Um, but I didn't know it at the time that math is extremely important uh, when it comes to coding. So, um, but what people don't realize is, yes, math is a big aspect of coding, but when you use math in coding, you don't use it as you would think. Um, you use it to solution with. So yeah, there's these concepts that you can use to make your life easier when you code. Um, but to get to your question, Holly, yeah, if you code as long as I have, then you start seeing the math and the code and letters as an artistic form, right? When you understand how things work in the uh, tech space with computers and technologies and components and so on, you realize everything just comes down to hardware um, bits and bits and pieces, right? So you start thinking differently about these things. Um, but yeah, I haven't thought about that. Maybe I must, maybe I must uh, start painting some numbers, there, I guess. Or maybe they'll be it's in the backgrounds. Yeah, like maybe the new, because maybe you need a new Hashlips collection and in the back will be all of the code or something. <laughs> and maybe we can create some secret code, you know? I mean, um, that's fascinating if you, if you think about it. So maybe not math, but code, like I absolutely love mm -hmm. the fact that people can generate their own language, you know, or, you know, encode something to the point where it almost becomes like a puzzle. Um, I'm fascinated by things like that. So who knows, maybe for the next collections, we'll create some kind of Da Vinci code. You have to decipher or something. I think that'd be so cool. And with, when you think about like hash lips, like your pop art, like you speak it, but now it's like behind the scenes or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going off tangent here, but like, um, no, I don't mind. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about like more business stuff. So, um, can you describe the hash lips art engine? Let's, let's get a little, you know, like into the nitty gritty. Technical. Yeah. All right. Um, Okay, so basically, that's not that technical. I think for anyone who really is, is a coder, they'll realize that it's actually very basic. Um, but you'll find that sometimes the most basic uh, concepts, programs, or structures are really valuable in a space where it doesn't exist, right? So um, basically what the art engine does is it layers um, collections. So I don't know. I'm going to try and portray example, yeah? For the listeners, they won't know what I'm doing. Um, I'll describe you, or something you, know, you describe. You'll whatever. see, you'll see what I do. So right. imagine, imagine there's like, there's more pages. I, I have two now, mm -hmm. but each page is an attribute. Okay. So I'm actually going to try and, and draw this out because this is the best way of explaining it. So for listeners, I'm drawing eyes and for the viewers, they'll see what I'm doing now. Okay. So we've got eye, we've got a face. Excuse my drawing. I'm really trying to betray that I'm an artist, but um, there's a face, 
and there's eyes. And now what essentially happens with the art engine is these layers are transparent. So they are called attributes in the NFT space, right? Just simple attributes like eyes, like a face. Um, but when you put them together, right, when you overlap them, you can kind of see through the, through the paper uh, what's happening here. A, a character is forming. And this is the exact concept that the art engine is built off of. It's the fact that you can have numerous different layers, attributes, and put them in a folder, calling them all eyes, calling them all bodies, um, shapes, whatever, backgrounds. And then this program goes and it constructs an image, uh, each image uniquely with an ID and metadata. And that's how, that's how it works. It just layers images on top of each other. And if those images are well thought of by an artist, you get a pretty picture at the end. That's very cool. So you had talked about CryptoKitties earlier on. Yeah. I'm, I'm switching gears a little here. Sorry about that. You had talked about CryptoKitties and you were kind of like, oh, I spent quite a bit of money on that. You know, I probably shouldn't have done that. It was just like a digital art. Um, one of the big conversations in NFT space is about mm -hmm. roadmaps and utilities. So roadmap meaning the person who is creating it has a roadmap that they plan on for the buyers of their art, whether it be some sort of, you know, live event uh, in the future or some sort of, there's something, there's a means to an end for them. And then utilities might be like little perks along the way, like maybe they get sent some special little attribute, for example, um, after they've bought it so that they can morph their kitty into something else. But you had said in, in one of your YouTubes that, um, that you feel that that imparts like guilt or a need for an artist to put this, to create a roadmap or to put these utilities in and as like a purist, as an artist, like you, that bothers you. So can we dig into that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, actually we came from an AMA. We were just uh, talking about the exact same thing. Um, yeah, um, Holly, correct. You know, when, when we look at NFT collections these days, uh, you'll find that NFTs come out and there's this underlying expectation of a roadmap, some utility, you know, um, the artwork can't just be the artwork anymore. No, it has to promise X, Y, and Z as well. And, uh, you know, initially when I started our collection, our SABC, the sketchy A book club collection, our utility was very minimal. It was, uh, I think it was writing a book and auctioning and there was something else i believe um giveaways right which is something doable it's something manageable what i don't like in the space is where people promise these extensive roadmaps which is totally ridiculous and will never be fulfilled but yet they are tricking their audience they're tricking people buying into this nft thinking that well this team is going to do this and um that's why we always try and keep our utilities, our roadmaps to a minimal. But what this creates, and this is the problem I have with them, is that once you have a community uh, following your artworks and so on, there's this underlying expectation that you need to perform each and every day. You can't rest uh, until these uh, NFTs become, I don't know, one, two ether uh, each, uh, which is uh, to me a burden, you know, as an artist, because you're constantly worried about what the community thinks instead of creating. And, you know, if you create, you should be rather thinking about utility. How can you, um, you know, bring more value to the artworks that people are buying? And I guess it all comes down to one thing. It's that when you as an artist decide that you're going to put out utility, um, you, you're devaluing your art, you're devaluing yourself as a person, um, especially creating artworks, because you innately saying that, you know, my artworks as an asset on the Ethereum blockchain, which you've put months and months of works in, uh, is simply not enough. You need to, you know, outperform yourself every time. You need to promise more than just the artworks um, for people to be happy to, to buy into this thing. And that's why 
you know, with our collections, we always uh, have gone the organic route of marketing, being on spaces, talking about the artworks. Um, but yeah, it's, it also happened in our community where people are like, no, but we want more utility. And I just keep on saying, but it's the artworks, you know, um, but we are giving utility. At the end of the day, I am a developer too uh, and an innovator. So I try and, you know, give back to the community as much as possible. Uh, but it does become, you know, a little bit much sometimes when you're constantly focusing on that rather than uh, creating artworks. Because as an artist, you know, for me, it's very important to draw. If I don't draw, I feel this uh, emptiness in my life. If if I don't get to put pen on paper and draw a line, like I just did, Holly, I'm now very happy because I've drawn these <laughs> You're things. done for the day. Uh, <laughs> you did your I'm circle for the smile. face with the two eyes. <laughs> now we now we're ready to go um but yeah I, I mean if i can't draw uh you know i i kind of feel that the creative tension the uh, build up of uh thoughts you know in your mind becomes overwhelming uh to the sense where you're constantly focusing on the wrong stuff and when you get to draw when you get to be free as an artist uh, drawing in the space uh, then it's very much uh, relaxing but this is not something just that, you know, I've experienced a lot of community owners who I talk to, they experience the same thing. And it's basically because of this uh, mis, mis um, interpretation of the NFT space that each uh, NFT that comes out has to have a community that um, is filled with utility and benefits to, to a collection. Uh, of course, collections differ. So I'm not speaking for everyone. Um, but yeah, that's just the only aspect I have on that is, uh, bring it back to the art, man. Oh man, I can't tell you, <laughs> you know, all right. So I think that artists have such a hard time with this, you know, if, you know, as an artist, like when I was doing jewelry design, if I had to make a collection if I got to like be at my bench and I'm hammering and soldering and doing whatever it is that I'm doing, if I had to do that, but I could only think about the saleability of it, if it was down the road, I would be sending my client, I don't know, um, a free invitation to New York Fashion Week to see the jewelry on somebody like it could only it would only be saleable would only be interesting to them if there was some other gift coming down the road i'm not sure that i would be able to create because you can't always guarantee that and i feel like i feel like that's really hard on the artist i i feel like it it stops them in their tracks from even thinking about NFTs because they feel like, okay, now not only do I need to have a game plan that's over and above, and then if I don't deliver, I'm going to be shamed, you know? And then the, the other piece of it is everybody says, oh, you have to have a community. You have to have a community. You know, that's a full-time job, building yeah, a community. It is. I look, um, you know, when I entered the space with our collection, I quickly realized that I need to leave my my day job uh, because of the amount of time that I need to spend with the community. Um, and even that's not enough. Um, community is expected to be awake 24-7. Now, is that is that a burden? Not really, because our community is really nice. So I love being, you know, and chatting there and, and being involved in all the stuff we do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely correct. If you are a jewelry, jewelry designer and um, you have to think about, you know, the ticket that needs to go with your jewelry piece, does that really make your jewelry piece feel special to you? You know, the, the piece that you're really working hard um, on right there, right now. And the answer to me is no. Um, as an artist, you know, especially if you want to do proper art in the space, because look, our collection is not just a a simple fiver collection where you got someone to design digital things not that that's bad i don't want to step on toes here but i also just want to mention that each of our pieces are hand drawn uh, on pen and paper then scanned in then taken to photoshop and then only the layers get separated so it's a whole process that i do um, as an artist you know it's my own unique little process that i've developed right now and 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at what's happening after you've created them, there's this huge smile on my face every time I look at what I'm drawing, and then there's this uh, realization of doubt, like thinking, well, I don't want this to sell if someone's going to put this expectation on your back of then making it worth um you know millions of dollars like you see these big nft collections uh, go for now there's nothing wrong with a community expecting that because that is totally possible um but it takes time you know as, as an artist uh, growing in a space it takes time to build up a name um to see that you know you add value to a space um but yeah utilities kind of mess around with that aspect and i think you know, looking at the NFT space right now, I'm seeing more and more spaces where it's going the other route. Uh, people are bringing it back to the art art world and um, focusing on the asset because I guess people forget that the asset is so important. The fact that you can own something digitally is um, truly amazing. So, yeah, I think there needs to be some more emphasis um, placed on that. Plus, the on the other hand, you know, Collections that promise the, these utilities uh, to the community, a lot of people get scammed where these big promises are made and then you buy into this collection, which truly doesn't even have beautiful art, but because of the utility you bought into it and then these people never fulfill it. And that's the problem I have with the space because as someone new coming into the space, you never want to expose them to that. I would rather want to expose someone to say, hey, um, you can own a digital artwork of mine and have it physically on your wallet. How cool is that? And then people would say, well, let me see the artwork and you show it to them and they love it and they get one. Um, but that's where, you know, it stops and the community starts, the community supporting the artworks and so on. Um, but yeah, that being said, that was just for me a horrible experience finding out that uh, in order to hype up a community, you'll need to add some utility, which... We are now totally against, uh, we're trying to bring it back uh, to the origins of the art. I love that. I love that you're recalibrating, that you're looking at didn't work, that what you feel doesn't work out there or didn't feel um, genuine or or authentic to you in, in what yeah. the creating art is. So I love that you're revisiting that and, and dialing it back maybe like with your community, like let's just talk about the art. Let's not talk so much about utility and roadmaps because that's a lot of pressure, right? And and Yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to do that. <laughs> so you're, yeah, you're kind of, um, I feel like you're, you're teaching people in your community how to really look at it um, in, a, in that organic way, in that holistic way. Like you came to me because you're an artist and you want to create an NFT. Let's do that. Let's not talk about the other stuff. If down yeah. the road you think of some utility and in your heart you want to apply it to that, then that's different. But if you create the art with the utility in mind, then it's going to change the art, right? Oh, absolutely. Holly, like... Where, where have you been? I think you should be in our uh, community right now. I would love <laughs> that. No, that I would been... love that. I'll join. Yeah, if I, you... can, I can give you a sketchy ape to form part of our community. Um, if you have an Ethereum wallet, I can send you one of my own sketchy apes. I would love for you to be a part of it. You know, um, our, our sketchy ape community is, is brilliant in that regard. There's so many people who are passionate about the artworks. And when I mention people being upset about utility, it's mostly only a few individuals, right? Um, but a few bad apples, you can't really have spoiled the whole thing. So we, we try and pick people out, uh, discuss it with them, find out why they would be upset, and then realize that people doesn't even know, they don't even know who I, I am in the space, what I've um, you know put all my energy and effort towards. So. It, it, there's kind of a misconception, but it's 100% correct. Um, as a community leader and an artist um, and an enthusiast, whatever it might be, yes, you need to educate uh, communities, you know, especially your own community on, on what is valuable to you as a uh, owner and what is, you know, not really something important at the moment. Because when you don't do that, there's some misperceptions going around where people feel that they own you, right? 
and this is something I need to speak about on spaces as well, but uh, this, this often happens. Uh, someone buys into a collection and they immediately feel that they own the uh, person who created this collection's time and energy and everything uh, simply because they own one of the NFTs. Now, that's not the case if you buy a Picasso. Uh, that's not the case you can say to Picasso, well, I have one of your artworks, Picasso. Please make it more valuable right now in a week. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> It is a skewed view of what a good project should be, should be there. And if we don't rectify it now, um, you know, the NFT space won't last that long. And, you know, for our project, we're trying to be here for not just a year or two or a few months. We want to be here for 10, 12, um, 100 years if we can. I won't live that long. But if we, if we can, I want to have it live that long. But you cannot make something live that long and be that consistent if you burn out, if you constantly are pressured by a community to add utility, uh, to constantly change um, the direction, uh, because it's going to create confusion, you know, for all the believers in that product, that's really not about that stuff. That's actually there for the right reasons. It confuses them because they're thinking, okay, well, this is happening now, or this is happening now, but this, and yeah. Uh, there's a fine line, you know, so my advice to people if they buy into NFT uh, collections is a read up on what the utility is, if there is or isn't. Um, and then when you get an NFT, don't try and force utility onto something that's not. If it's an artist project, um, then respect it as an artist project and respect the artist for his or her work because uh, they placed a great deal of effort into, into getting that all together. That is so well said. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. You know, I feel like there's like another piece of this aside from the utility when you create a community and you're, you need to be accessible all the time. So as an artist, like there's some artists that aren't extroverted and have a YouTube channel and are on Discord and Telegram talking to people who've bought their art throughout the day. You know, some artists really work differently than that. Um, they yeah. might go out into the wilderness and, and take photographs all day and go on, you know, hiking trips or something. I don't know. It's just yeah. that that is a whole other job within itself. Um, I I know that, like I I totally understand that um, from from my corporate background and working with teams. Like when you have to be almost like on, like almost like a salesperson in a way. Like you're just on all the time. Like how does that affect your work? Like do you feel like you're not getting stuff done, or do you feel like? Um, your energy is depleted sometimes, like because it's too much. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> that's a very personal this be, question. This, this, no, this interview session has been um, actually a great opportunity for me to speak about this stuff. You know, I don't speak about these things, um, but yeah, it it does require you to be on. It does require you to stay up to two, three hour. Uh, two, three in the morning, you know, busy speaking to community members, um, everything sorting out, you know, just to give you a perspective, I haven't left this house in a month <laughs> because we get everything delivered here to the house. I don't need to go out really. Um, even though, uh, I really want to, but it, it is, uh, it is what it is at this point. You know, it's, um, I do get out, I do go, I have to go and do daily stuff, you know, um, but the problem is you have to be on the whole time. You have to be available the whole time. And if you're not, then people ask why. And the thing is, that's a, like I said, that's really, um, that's a really weird outlook because like you said, most artists aren't extroverted. 
you know, only the weird ones are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean that like and, uh, <laughs> no artist is on like 24 seven on a no, community no, right. discord no channel. Is. Like, you know, what, what I find fascinating is I almost want to ask you about your creative process because do you find actually that doing all this, um, makes it harder for you to put pen to paper sometimes? Cause like, I yeah. feel like, yeah, like I feel like those moments of creativity, those aha moments, they come when you step away from, from all the work. So you go for a walk with your girlfriend or, you know, you play with your cat for a little while or you go for a run or, yeah. you know, when you leave the house, I can't believe that you haven't left yeah. in like a month. <laughs> um, maybe that's the COVID lockdown thing. More, but more than month. Yeah. Yeah. Like, crazy. do you find that um, you're missing that, that you're missing some of those uh, moments, those aha moments as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only aha moments with art, right? I'm missing out on life currently. Um, I have a girlfriend that I that I live with, you know, and I love her to bits, but I don't get to, you know, go into bed with her. Not in that way, just, you know. No, I know what you're saying. Go to bed together. Um, I, I don't get to enjoy talks with my families anymore because... Uh, you know, the, 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 the thing where it actually hit me the hardest was the other day when I opened my WhatsApp and I looked at my WhatsApp and there was a message from my mom about three days ago and I haven't even opened it. Now, I know some people are bad with WhatsApp. I'm not one of those people. If you send me a message, I open it immediately. But that's just to show you the extent where uh, the amount of requests from people needing my help has gotten to. And especially with this community, uh, it's been hectic. Um, so that's where I realized and I need to take a step back. Either I need to take a stance and tell the community that, you know, we're taking this back to being artworks, you know, because I would like to see this a huge success one day. We want to release more artwork collections. We want to build a huge brand together. And, you know, we do have marketing individuals. Uh, my team that I got together, um, they are at least sorting these things out. So there's people 24-7 that can help you out as an artist. Uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, the realization being in the space in general is quite a lot. And, you know, you can ask any owner of a collection right now, they're going to tell you the same thing is when you do uh, go into the NFT space, be ready to do it full time because there is there is no time to, to just do it uh, part time. Mainly because the crypto, well, crypto in general never sleeps. And uh, our follower base is, is right over the world, right? So UTC times, uh, man, time zones doesn't even matter any, anymore for me because anyone uh, everywhere um, who's living in a time zone, I don't even care anymore. If they're awake, they'll call me and I just am awake. So wow. it, it gets difficult. Uh, at the end of the day, it gets, uh, it gets difficult. But, you know, at the end of the day, what pulls me, what pulls me through is the positive feedback. So between all this, between all the, the craziness of owning a collection and trying to draw, there is this special thing that happens where you open your phone and there are people thanking you for what you have done. People who have shared stories with me that, um, you know, I, I will never forget this. There was an individual who came to my space and said, you know what? Uh, from your tutorial, they were be, they were able to create a collection and buy a car for their family, which they've never owned before. But they've raised enough funds to buy a car for the family, and now he gets to drive his kids uh, to school. And you know things like that, you know, <laughs> makes all funny. this stuff hundred percent, thousand percent worth it. And that's why I'm doing it. Um, you know, when I make videos, I know that this video will help someone one day achieve something that they can. And uh, that is why I stick in the space, um, you know. So well, yeah, it's, it's tough, Holly, but it's rewarding. Yeah, so. well, you know, I feel like um, this space has adopted a bit of a hustle culture that's very similar in like FinTech and um, just tech startups, SaaS startups and everything. And um, I, I think that 
there has to be a better way. And maybe, um, maybe you're the guy to change the formula. Like maybe because you're already experiencing it, like before you crash and burn, maybe you need to like address how, how you operate and maybe, um, empower other emerging leaders in your community to, um, start to be the people that check that WhatsApp or, you know, like maybe there's a way to divert a little bit of that traffic and allow for some space for you for rest and creativity and aha moments. Like I, I feel like this isn't sustainable, but the culture is kind of pushing you to sustain this level. Yeah, no, definitely. I, you know, we have so much help. Um, actually just want to take this time to thank everyone helping me, uh, you know, in both communities and the hashtags community and, and the sketchy Ape community as well. Um, We've got so much help, you know, at the end of the day. But uh, as you know, people would like to speak to the creator if they can. If if they can have this person, they'll reach out. They'll find a way to reach out. I've I've had some weird late night calls from people who I don't know, uh, just wanting to say sometimes hi and you know thank you so much, and I appreciate it. I just don't appreciate that much if it happens four a.m. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you can definitely divert the traffic. But in some sense, you know, I also don't want to be uh, in this community if I'm going to miss half the stuff and maybe miss out, you know, on important information that needed to get to me as well. And uh, for that fact, you know, kind of blaming myself not to to switch off because technically I can, you know, Holly, if I if I really wanted to, I can take you know a month off, go and relax on a beach and. Uh, just draw so but like i said i'm in the space because of the great feedback because of the people that we help and i'm going to give it my best you know even if i give it my best for the next 10 years and i know that you know we've made a real change when it comes to how communities are run especially with art collections absolutely we can be the drivers maybe in the space um because we have the reach um, to people in the space to to change kind of how things are are now, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've set the precedent for that, and um, everyone has tried to better themselves and better each other to have sales, which you know shouldn't never be the driving force. Because once you have sales be the driving force, you're going to promise the world and deliver, you know, nothing. Um, so we need to change that aspect. We need to change the way people do collections, um, how they handle themselves in the spaces, how they make promises in the spaces. Um, and once they do, there, w- there would be a global shift of mindset. Uh, but we're already seeing this uh, in, the, in the space, in the NFT space, as people are valuing the art and you know, you know, going to stop collecting these things that is just, I would say, in my own opinion, insignificant um, you know, in the art scene on blockchain. Um, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> fingers no, no, that's great. Happen. That's great. And and I'm so glad that um, you have such a, a great community that really cares about what's happening and that you want to be there. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, Anya. I just want to make sure that, you know, Daniel isn't all work and no play, you know. <laughs> um, let's... Uh, I'd like to circle to uh, your new NFT collection. I think we spoke briefly um, about uh, sharing that. Is that something that you would like to dig into next? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. Uh, You asked me, Holly, what do I do? Am I excited when I create? Absolutely. I still am excited, uh, very excited because, you know, I started drawing the new collection it is still, you know, a part of our ecosystem. We have the Sketchy Lab ecosystem, so it is going to form a part of our, you know, holistic uh, brand. Um, but this new collection, and th- the reason why I'm so excited for this, our previous collection, the Sketchy Apes, we cannot get a blue tick on OpenSea because they're seeing it as a derivative project, and um, you know, there's been some great controversy going there trying to get the blue tick because i don't see it as a derivative as all uh you know it's new apes it's okay 
as an A project. And there's a lot of these A projects on the NFT space. But that being said, it's totally different. The artworks look different. It's all hand-drawn. So in its own right, it isn't really a derivative at all. But that being said, I want to give it to the community and show them that we can get a blue tick. I think the uh, community, the artworks, the whole project in itself deserves to be recognized at that level. Uh, so I came up with this concept you know, of, of traveling back in time with the sketchy apes and creating a collection that kind of um, resembles them in some way, um, but in a different form, in a form that's unique, that's going to be an NFT project, also generative. Um, but this time, we're going to eliminate roadmaps. We're going to eliminate rarities. We're going to eliminate all the constructs that's been put in place that kind of drives this NFT space into a certain direction. And the reason why we want to do that is because we're truly speaking, you know, about art here, um, about an individual piece of art that is um, in value of itself. And we, we want to bring it back to that. So what better way of doing it than bringing out uh, this cool collection? I cannot give you the name of it yet um, because I need to deploy the contract, but it is, uh, it is cool. Like I, I'm going to release some sneak peeks soon. Um, and then we can maybe talk about it again, maybe, who knows? Yeah, no, I love that. You know, maybe um, we can bring the Culture Factor family onto the Clubhouse platform, give everybody an invitation, and we can discuss that there. Um, and when you have the name for the collection and the links, um, we can add it to the show notes because this episode probably will be airing a few weeks uh, post uh, us sitting here right now. So there, there might be the opportunity to still put that in there, even though you don't have the name yet. Um, the magic of yeah. time, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to do that with you. I think that'd be a lot of fun um, to, to jump in a room and, and do that or a Twitter spaces, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, um, I would like to ask you this question. Um, I know you talked earlier about being able to do this 10 years from now, um, but you also in something I, you know, in a video I watched of you, you created vision boards throughout your life, um, a couple of them along the way. And uh, by doing so, you also recognized how um, it actually, how it actualized the things that you wanted. Um, so, do you have a new vision board or are you, do you have one that you're still realizing? That is a good question. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Holly, I think when I made the decision to tell people that that's just kind of, uh, something I do, <laughs> I didn't know how people were going to re react, but people love the fact that, you know, you recognize that mindsets do change the way you do do stuff in, in the in the world, right? And who you attract and, and all sorts of things great about it. Um, I don't have a current roadmap. Uh, look, look at me now. See, Holly, I'm calling these things roadmaps, but they're vision boards. <laughs> uh, That's vision okay. Board. That's okay. I, I kind of knew what you meant there. <laughs> okay, cool. So vision board. I don't have a vision board um, that I'm following now. But, you know, in actual reality, there, there is a vision board because I've created so many. Uh, well, in my life, I've created like a six or something. Uh, because I've created so many, they, they do stay in your mind. They, they kind of drive the things that you do in life uh, on a daily basis. So when I do get the chance to see them, and I don't get to do that often, they in my studio in a different location. So when I go to my studio, I take them out, have a look at them. And realize like, huh, this happened, this happened, this happened, you know, and uh, I don't have a new one, but I think, you know, just to reinstate that, you know, something I want to create this year again, uh, just to have more closer to me with new goals, uh, seeing that the space that I'm in now, you know, kind of has different goals to it. And of course, um, of course, I'll do that. I'll always do that. Um, do you believe in vision boards, Holly? It's a great question that you're turning this on me. The, the interviewee becomes the interviewer. I love it. Um, I have not done that. And it's really kind of shocking, I think, when I sit back and I think about that. <clears throat> because 
I am an artist and I have painted and draw, draw, done drawings and collages and I've, I've taken courses and jewelry and the whole thing. So being, building something out like a poster board with like pictures and, and all of that probably would be a really worthwhile effort for me. I don't know why I have not done that. Um, (laughs) but I think I need to do that. Like I, I, it keeps coming back. Like, it's funny because you're not the first person that has mentioned it, but, um, I've never like physically done it. And I think I need to now. I think I do. It's really fun. It's like, building a big scrapbook not that I like scrapbooking but it's like it's like doing artworks to another level because you get to make a collage uh, filled with things that you love and it doesn't always have to be monetary things that you put on that board it's sometimes just the moods and um, Mm -hmm. you know people you want to involve and certain situations you would like to change and I you know when when I first saw the book I have to be honest, I thought it was a bit of a bogus story because, you know, who gets to write down on the on a thing and then have it happen? Um, but when you look at how it works and kind of why I think I think that it works, <laughs> let me put it like that. This is the um, secret book, right? <clears throat> this, is the, this is the, yeah, this is the secret or the power of the subconscious mind mm-hmm. or just listen to what the hell Daniel's saying right now. Well, <laughs> I don't, well I don't honestly, know if the secret was good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for Daniel and Holly. So keep going. <laughs> oh man. I don't know. Like all, all I know is that as soon as I have something written down and focused on, and you know, I, I get up in the morning knowing that, you know, this stuff probably already has happened to me before your mind puts yourself in a different position you know, you will, you will engage certain situations differently. You will act differently, you know, with people. And the simplest example I can give is if you wake up with a smile, you know, and you, I don't know, just say hi to the first person you see on the street, they're going to greet you with another smile and say hi back, mm-hmm. you know, and I love that. That in turn makes you get to work. It makes you feel good and you get to work and Maybe you get this bad email, but you're like, okay, cool. Let me just sort this out. Now, if you wake up in turn negatively, you see the first person and maybe the first person does something to upset you. You're upset. You hit your toe. You're more upset. Then you get that email. Uh, Then you respond with a rude comment. And then maybe that turns into something bad. So you spiral in a negative way. But, you know, it's, it's all about which way you spiral. And that's why... You know, I always try and identify which direction I'm heading. If I realize it's a bad direction, I quickly try and rectify it. Uh, maybe it takes me a few minutes or a half a day. And then I reset and I say, well, we'll start from scratch. And then we do. And then it goes great again. I think what's so cool is that you recognize that it's happening. I think a lot of people that spiral down lasts a lot longer. The fact that you can almost course correct in such a short period of time is a bit of a gift. You've been doing the work necessary to see it happening in real time. Yeah. But, but please don't tell me that I'm spiraling the wrong way. That's the one. So that's the thing, right? When you tell anyone, uh, I'm thinking of someone uh, now that I know, but if you tell them that they spiraling in the wrong way, you shouldn't do that because you're going to get uh, shouted at. So what, <laughs> what I'm suggesting is that, yeah, everyone needs to realize it to themselves. And, and you, you get to be mad. We're all human. I mean, you get to be negative. You get to be upset about stuff. Um, but you also have the right to be happy, to be, you know, for, for the smallest things, to satisfy you and, and be content with stuff around you as well. And if you realize that, you know, life is so short, And you look at some individuals, look, I I live in South Africa and, you know, on a daily basis, I see people who are not as fortunate as many in South Africa. You know, there's a big um, poverty gap here. But when you get to see someone having the same smile on their face who has nothing with them, you realize that life is not about stuff that you own. It's not about, you know, um, how good you look, whatever it is. It is really about how content you are with yourself and your situation. And that means that in any situation that you're in, 
um, you know, you can be rich of life, you can be rich of happiness, and you can be rich of, you know, blissfulness. Uh, it, it's all about that. It's all about just being happy. And at the end of the day, if something isn't make you, making you happy, um, you either need to get rid of it very fast or you should change it. But that's, uh, that's just how I've lived my life um, all my life. I love this. It's Daniel's philosophy on life. It's fantastic. It's actually a really beautiful way to, to end this. So I'm not going to ask you any more questions. I'm just going to thank you for sharing your art and your inspirations and your vision uh, for Hashlips and your community and Daniel on Culture Factor. Thank you. Holly, thank you so much. It was been, uh, it's been a huge uh, honor to be on your show. And I really hope I get to do this again. Thanks. We will do this again. Thank you. Thank you.